worship minister. It's great to have John with us. John and his wife Christy and family are with us, so we welcome you and are glad to have you at, uh, at College Hills. Well, there's a lot of things you can do as you begin the new year. It's 2020, and one of the things you can do is you think about this brand new year. If you haven't um, officially become part of our congregation, you could do that. I would love to meet with you. I'll be in the very back. There's a table. It says Next Steps. And if you would like to take the step of membership, would love to talk with you a little bit about that. Uh, we spend time talking about our mission and vision and who we are and what we're striving to do in the community. And so if you're a guest today and you would like to be a part of that process, I would love, uh, love to meet with you. Dr. Ron Bryce is an emergency room physician, and he's written a book called The Fingerprint of God. And in it, he tells a story about a time in his life when he was assisting a heart surgeon in this very complex, very complicated heart procedure. And at one point in that procedure, when this gentleman's chest cavity was broken open and you could see his beating heart, the attending physician told Dr. Bryce, ask him, would you reach in there and, and turn the heart? And so he did that. And as he was turning the heart so that the surgeon could get a, a better uh, view and, a, and could, could work on the heart in a better way, the attending physician said to him, how does it feel, Dr. Bryce, to hold a man's beating heart in your hand? Now, in spite of their manipulations, the man's heart kept thumping as billions of heart cells communicated and coordinated their activities together. They, they contracted in unity, acting together to produce the heartbeat. And I'm told that if you were to take those heart cells out and put them in a test tube, they would continue beating. And if those heart cells came in contact with one another, instinctively they would beat rhythmically together in unison. Individual heart cells can't really do much. But it's amazing when these heart cells come together and they beat together in unison, they're able to, to pump blood all through the body and life is able to be sustained as a result of that. I thought that's a fitting metaphor when you think about the church. Individually, we can do some good, but not a lot. But when you think about individual Christians, men and women of God, coming together, focused in the same direction. It's amazing what can occur. And so today we begin a, a message series that we're going to continue through the, book, through the uh, month of January that I'm calling Simply Together. Next week we're going to look at how together we can change the world. Next Sunday morning, you're going to hear some stories about some things that happened in 2019, some lives that were changed in 2019. We're going to hear a little bit about what we anticipate in 2020. It's the day we'll also unveil our brand new, um, our brand new budget. The following week, we're going to look at Together We Are Stronger, and we're going to spend some time in Ephesians chapter 4. Oftentimes when we think about discipleship and spiritual formation, we think individually. We're part of an individualistic culture. But Paul's going to say in Ephesians 4 that real spiritual growth occurs as we, as we come together, and as we form this body of Christ, the church, and as we work together, it's then that the body is built up 
And the serendipity of that is that we grow individually. And then the fourth week of our series, we're going to look at Together We Experience Love. John, in the book of 1 John, tells us that God is love. And that says something about the nature of God because love needs to be expressed. And so God himself exists in community. And from that loving community, he created us, and and now we get to be a part of this beautiful thing called the church. And one of the things that happens within the church is we express love to one another. We experience love. And some of you, maybe many of you, could share stories about a moment when you experience love in the body of Christ. You could talk about how you were going through a hard time, a difficult time, maybe, maybe a health crisis. And a group of people were motivated and and came together to pray on your behalf. Or, or maybe there was a time when you were struggling financially and you didn't know how ends were going to be met. And, and this church helped you financially. Or maybe there was a moment when you, you were very discouraged and you came and you were part of our fellowship and you, you experienced such incredible encouragement. Fourth week, we're going to talk about how together we express love. But this morning, we're going to build a foundation for our series as we look at how together we find peace. And you know, that's what people in our world are searching for. And people look so many ways to find peace, and yet they have a difficult time finding it. One of the men that we're reaching out to through our jail ministry has written a very moving poem. It's called Metal Doors and Concrete Walls. And by the way, I just want to say a word of encouragement about the men and women who are involved in our jail ministry. For the last few years, we've, every week we go into the jails and we teach classes. We have men's classes and women's classes. I appreciate the great work that David and Judy Dearman are doing and Buddy Chatfield and Hugo Sandoval and Patty Head and Joe Reed Dudley and maybe some others that every week carve out time when they're going into the jails to, to talk to men and women about that which offers them peace. And one of the ways we see A tangible result is through this poem that a young man wrote about his experience in the jail. It's called Metal Doors and Concrete Walls, and I want to read it. As I sit here in my cell block, as I sit here, my cell block is completely silent. No more loud screams or talks of violence. This is my only time of peace, so I'm trying to clear my mind. I thank God my family still loves me, even for the hard times. Sometimes I feel like giving up, but I never do. Having God by my side, he helps me to pull through. Every time I get lost in the dark, he shows me the light. He gives me strength mentally, physically, and emotionally to win my fights. My 23 years of addictions been only metal doors and concrete walls. All my enemies around me waiting for me to fall. So I walk with my eyes open and my head high to the sky. But being an addict with feelings, sometimes I close my eyes and cry. I get to feeling lonely, lost, and yet so confused. Living as an addict, what am I trying to prove? I get high to ignore the pain of reality. Truth is, I may have done too much. I can't wake up. I guess I'm just another fatality. Is this really it for me, a world of misery and pain? Surely my addiction hasn't won. There is way more in life I can gain. 
I just sat down to write so I could clear my mind. All of a sudden, that light became hard to find. Boom, I hear a door slam and then a scream. I open my eyes wide and realize I just fell into a dream. i got to get my life right so I can hear Jesus call. I'm tired of living the life I've lived. It's all hopelessness and sadness behind these metal doors and concrete walls. While we may not experience the pain of addiction or incarceration, there are a lot of people who resonate with those last words where he said, I'm tired of living the life I've lived. It's all hopelessness and sadness behind these metal doors and concrete walls. You see, people are struggling to find peace. They're at war with themselves. They may not understand they're at war with God, but they really are. And so God has done something incredible. God has sent His his Son, His one and only Son, into this world to live and teach and eventually die and be raised on the third day. And what does He offer us? He offers us this sense of peace. And now Paul, in the book of Ephesians, he even calls this gospel. What is the gospel? It is this wonderful good news. Paul calls this gospel or good news in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15, the gospel of of peace. Now in some ways the paragraph we just read, Ephesians 2, 11 through 18, it might seem irrelevant, uh, not germane to our lives. With all this talk about Jews and Gentiles and, and covenants and circumcision and uncircumcision, we scratch our heads and wonder, what does this have to do for us? But this paragraph is vitally important because you see, Paul begins by speaking to Gentiles. And, and by the way, that's, that's who we are. We're not Jews. We are Gentiles. And as he's talking to them, he wants them to understand something of their past. He's painting this stark picture. He wants them to understand the bad news, really, before they can fully appreciate the gospel, before they can fully appreciate how really good this good news is. And our world Our world needs this good news message. I know it's an old story, and I've used it before, but it's one of my favorite stories, so I want to tell it. My boys would say it's a preacher's story, and they would say, don't tell it, Kevin, don't tell it, Dad, but I'm going to tell it. So there's this couple, and the husband had this car. It was a Lexus. He loved this Lexus. It was his baby. I mean, he... He paid special attention to that car. He washed it every other day. Well, he was riding with someone else to work, and his wife's car was in the shop, and and so she needed a car, and so she said, can I drive your Lexus to work? He took a step back and thought about it and reluctantly agreed to let her drive his Lexus. Well, as the story goes, she drives the car work and on the way home from work she was involved in in an accident she wrecked the car and so she's thinking to herself what what how can I communicate this news to my to my husband I mean he loved this car and so he comes home and he said how things go and she said well things went went okay and then she said to him honey I've got some good news and some bad news to tell you which would you like to hear first and he said to her oh I tell you it's been tough today. Uh, I had to fire a couple of people at work. 
I've had a difficult time. I'm not sure I can bear to hear any bad news. Just, just give me the good news. And so she said, okay, he, he, here it is. She said, the airbags on your new Lexus work really well. <laughs> you see, the good news of this, that this world communicates isn't even all that good. It's not all that good. But we have a message that is so good. This gospel of peace. And so Paul says in verse 12, he, he wants them to understand their condition and so he says in verse 12, remember that at, at that time, here speaking to these Gentiles, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. There are words that jump out of that verse at me, words like separate and excluded but it's that last line that's so difficult to hear he says you were without hope and without God in the world that's where the Gentiles were and that's where many people with whom we come in contact are without hope and without God no one wants to feel separate no one wants to feel excluded and yet this morning, we have such good news. You see, the message we proclaim, the gospel, it, it has both vertical and horizontal, and I would suggest even personal dimensions. Often we only focus on the vertical dimension of the gospel. And Paul helps us to see that in Ephesians chapter 1, where he talks about all the benefits from being in Christ how that we've been redeemed and adopted and sealed with the Holy Spirit. On and on he goes in Ephesians 1, verse 5 and following. But the gospel also, as we'll see, has vertical implications as well. And I don't want to downplay the, 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 the horizontal implications as well. I don't want to downplay the vertical implications of the gospel. Because understand, I'm speaking to some people right now who may be far away from God. And you might not articulate it and say without hope or without God in the world, but if you're not in Jesus, that's exactly where you are. But understand, because of the gospel, you can experience peace with God. And yet, as we've said, in our very individualistic God, uh, world, we often emphasize this personal aspect of the gospel. We often emphasize this vertical relationship with God, almost to the exclusion of the horizontal impact of peace. The truth is you can't be right with God vertically without it also affecting us horizontally. Or let me say it like this. Becoming a, becoming a Christian doesn't just change our relationship with God. It also brings us into relationship with others. You don't become a Christian simply to get right with God, but you also become a Christian to become a part of a community. You become part of the new humanity that Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter 2 that God is creating. You have peace with God, but we can also experience peace with others. And this is really where Paul is moving in verse 14. He says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, destroying the barrier the dividing wall of hostility. I think we need to understand the conflict and the hostility between Jews 
and Gentiles in the first century. There was a disdain that the Jews had for the Gentiles and that the Gentiles had for the Jews. And yet through the gospel of peace, these two enemies amazingly become family. Now this passage starts to get very real for us when we just look at our world and look at all the division in our world and in our own country. Are there any political divisions today? We hear about red states and blue states. Are there any racial divisions? I hear stories all the time. Just recently we heard about bombing in a Jewish temple. Any cultural divisions? Any, have we experienced any divisions in the family? Any divisions in your workplace? Any divisions in the church? And we wonder, does the gospel have a word for any of this? Oh, we know the gospel says something about our vertical relationship with God, but does the gospel have anything to do with our horizontal relationships with others? The gospel brings peace to these two enemies, Jews and Gentiles. Enemies become family. And notice in this paragraph, it's fascinating really when you look at it, it says that, that Jesus does three things. Jesus is our peace, he makes peace, and he preaches peace. Now we've got to understand that peace is not merely the absence of war. Peaceful is not even that peaceful, easy feeling. It's not, it's not that song lyric from the, the uh, uh, Eagles, you know, song. Peace is more than, it's more than a feeling. I guess I could probably do a whole sermon with song lyrics. Um, peace is something more substantial than that. This Hebrew background of the word peace is the word shalom, and it has to do with the idea of, of flourishing. It's this future that God wills for his people. Jesus is our peace. He makes peace, and he preaches peace. So the question I raised this morning is, what do we have? What is the church of Jesus Christ? What word do we have for this divided, confused, angry world? We have a word of peace. We preach the gospel of peace. And so we, we understand there's a vertical, as we said, implication. If you've not responded to Jesus, understand you're at war with God, but Jesus is our peace. If you're not at peace with God, my, my question for you is, why not come to the cross this morning? If you come to the cross, there you'll find forgiveness and healing and wholeness. There Jesus takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. There he takes our brokenness and he begins to heal and mend our hearts. He gives us his healing. I don't want to underplay the vertical dimension of this gospel of peace at all. But there's also, as I said, a horizontal dimension to this peace. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. It's there that we begin to see the other as our brother. It's there that enemies become family. You see, when the gospel of peace turns enemies while the gospel of peace turns enemies into family, if family acts like enemies, we nullify the very message we seek to embody and proclaim to our divided world. 
Now, Paul is going to talk more specifically about this in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians 4, he tells us to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity is difficult to maintain in a family. And I know this full well. Uh, This past week and a half, uh, our family had the opportunity to travel. Uh, This year, I said to the boys, would you like presents or would you like a trip? And they all raised their hand and said, we'll take a trip. And so we decided to be gone for 11 days. Our son was already going to be in Germany studying, so we said, let's go visit him. And, and let's, as a family, we realized it probably the last trip we would take. Um, they're getting older. Uh, probably the last trip we'll take without wives, Lord willing. And, um, and so it was great. We had 11 wonderfully long days <laughs> together as a family. In fact, Janet and I said, you know, probably about seven days is the limit. About seven days is the limit. We, we can do well for about seven days, but boy, when you start getting eight, nine, ten, eleven days, it gets pretty tough. And there were moments of conflict, and there were moments when somebody wanted their way and didn't always get their way, and there, was a, there were moments of strife. There were moments of difficulty, but we're still family. And because we love each other, Because our hearts are knit together, we love each other in spite of our differences. There's also a personal implication for the gospel of peace. You see, if if you're not at peace with yourself, my my question for you today is, would would you come to the cross? Maybe some of you are struggling. You're you're struggling with with anxiety and, and you're not experiencing peace. When you come to the cross, it's there that you learn how much God loves you, how much God wants you to be with Him, how much He wants you to experience shalom, how much He wants you to experience this sense of flourishing. And although when you come to Jesus, I don't want to say that life will be perfect. It won't. You'll have difficulties and struggles and all the rest. And yet in spite of that, I believe Paul's word is right in Philippians chapter 4 when he says we can experience this peace that passes all understanding. You can have that. I, uh, I love how Paul wraps up this passage. We didn't read it, but it's found just a couple of verses later, down in verse 21. Paul uses an image that's probably hard for us to understand. In verse 21, he talks about a temple. See, the truth is, God has always wanted to be near his people, and you could almost trace the history of God's people by looking at the temples that were built all through Scripture. And so God tells Moses on Mount Sinai, you make for me a tabernacle. And I will come down and meet with you there. And then later when David comes on the scene, David has this sense that a temple needs to be built. And although he didn't build it, his son Solomon built the temple. When it was dedicated, the glory of God descended on that temple. The presence of God filled that temple. God is present everywhere. But in a special way, he was present in his temple. But now Paul makes this astounding statement In verse 21, God is not going to dwell in some physical building, some physical temple. Now we are the church, and we together are, is his temple. 
And so he says in verse 22, and in him, you two are being built together to to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are being, notice the language there, we are being built. This is currently taking place. Each of us is important. Brick by brick, stone by stone, God is building us together to become this, this temple where God dwells by His Spirit. And so, it's amazing what we can accomplish together. So we look at 2020 and begin to dream and imagine about all the things that can occur this next year through his people. It's amazing what can accomplish, what we can accomplish together. But today, you may have come here, and some of you in this room, you're not at peace with God, you're at war with God. This morning, I would beg you, would you come to the cross? Would you come to Jesus? There's no better way to begin your new year than to make that commitment to say, yes, I, I'm trusting Jesus. I'm going to be baptized in Jesus' name. I'm trusting him. My sins will be forgiven. I'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'll be a part of this temple of God, the church. And if that's you this morning as we sing a song in just a moment, I want to encourage you to walk down front and greet me, uh, meet me. Others of you may be struggling with a sense of peace with others. Maybe it's somebody at the workplace, maybe somebody in this church, maybe it's maybe somebody in your family. We'll have shepherding couples in the very back. They would love to talk with you and pray with you. Let this be a time of ministry and help you. Others of you may be struggling just internally. You're just, you've got some stuff you're working through and your life's hard, life's difficult. You need some brothers and sisters to pray with. They would love to pray with you as well. I don't know what your need is, but let this next song that we sing in just a moment, let this be a time of ministry for you. Let us help you if, if we can. Stay, let's come while we stand and while we sing this.